podcast we're doing is on the people who are sort of on the maker side of digital government. Like, what is the work like? We're a change management organization disguised as a digital services agency. Every day I go to work and I'm surrounded by incredibly awesome, inspiring people working on cool stuff. We live here? Okay, well, I'm going to do stuff that's going to save the world. If there's anything that doesn't sound smart enough, we'll just turn up the smartness dial. To all the first time callers in the long time listeners, this is the 311. This is the 311 Podcast. It's a show about the people that make digital government work. I'm your host, Paul Bellows. If you'd like to find out more, visit yellowpencil.com. I've known Norman for years, but for this conversation, we met up while we were both attending the International Open Government Partnership Conference in 2019. Norman has a wide range of experience in enterprise software from both public and private sector. He ran a series of digital agencies and startups and eventually chose to take a position with the city of Edmonton, directing a series of portfolios, including Edmonton's exploration of open source software. Edmonton has a long history of openness. They were an early adopter of and continue to be a global leader in open data. Norman talks about the possibilities that open source creates in opening up collaboration, partnerships, and innovation. In this episode, Norman and I talked about how open source can be a driver for community development and can help recruit the talent that cities need to handle the challenges of the future. Let's dive into our conversation, which we held in the Ottawa Convention Centre. I had this great conversation yesterday with Bianca. She was just talking about the Montreal journey towards open source and sort of the early stages in it and sort of this collaboration that they're starting to create with other cities. And she mentioned that Edmonton was one of those cities. And I said, well, gee, I know some people at Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought I'd love to get your perspective sure. on Edmonton's journey towards adoption of open source, the idea of code sharing between cities. You know, this is a new idea. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff gets passed around from time to time, but cities don't necessarily actively work together to see what are our shared needs, how can we fulfill those. So just maybe a little conversation, 15 minutes or so, about some of those things? Yeah, you bet. So I think one statement that I'd make, and I've only been with the city for six years now, and one thing that I have noticed that all of the cities have different forums to share kind of best practices from a a municipal technology perspective. Many of the cities have actively collaborated in that information sharing, but I think what the open part of open governments and open cities has brought is a real acknowledgement and awareness of how making something open, open data, an open API, and now as we're exploring open source, the same thing, how that is, call it the lingua franca of of collaboration. So it, it when, when IT folks look at, well, it's open source, and there's both folks who are very, yes, that's very positive, and many, even in my own organization, that are going, wow, that's of deep concern. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what open is, is the opportunity for collaboration. Yeah. So, so that's really the perspective that we bring to it. And what we have identified in, our, in particular in our smart city framework is the importance of partnerships. And that's partnerships with post-secondary institutions, partnerships with civic technology, so citizens and residents, partnerships with other municipalities and other orders of government, as well as partnerships with industry. And so in activating those relationships and partnerships, um, particularly at the academic level and the the civic tech um, areas, I can't get them excited about working on something in an obscure language or a very proprietary development language. I could get a post-secondary class or some um, civic technology volunteers to participate in it because they get to work with um, react.js. They get to participate in a project where they get stars on GitHub and that they can point to that on an ongoing basis. So those are, for me, it's a way to activate resources that 
the, the, the city couldn't activate otherwise, right? One thing I love about that is I often will hear government organizations say, oh, well, we're going to do this work in the open, we're going to open source it, and of course community will show up and will just do this work for us because it's the right thing to do. But I love that you're sort of saying, and what's the value back to community at a, at a personal and an intrinsic level to say, mm -hmm. you know, why would a student participate? Because there's 80 other things that, that student could do to get a star on GitHub other than work on a city project for free. But like just, just that idea that you're building that intrinsic value into those relationships and into those partnerships, I think mm -hmm. it's very, that's very astute, you know, and it sort of yeah. better reflects how society will probably work and respond to these things. When what we're building on is certainly in our very active open data community, so Edmonton's yeah. been successful with our open data program and the portal has been a way for, um, you know, people, are, they're full-time data analytics experts. They got their full-time job. They don't need to, yeah. have to, but they want to. We have people who volunteer to, take Edmonton data and make it more uh, consumable. There will be a segment of our community that just because they think they can do something really good with their technology coding skills, yeah. they might contribute to an open source project. But we want to create kind of a whole continuum of ways that people can be involved. Some of that would be, you know, some really playful innovation projects that, uh, that a computing science class might take on or yeah. a data and analytics class at McEwen might take on. But we also want to build in opportunities where maybe for um, a prize or a small honorarium, where we're asking for quite a bit more, they might be able to contribute a little bit more. Absolutely. And scaling that all the way up, ideally, to a scenario where we might have some sort of shared business arrangement with other cities, where even if it's just in-kind contributions of our resources, so a full-time equivalent from Bianca's team in Montreal, yeah. um, a full-time equivalent from Edmonton's team, that we're putting those in, but we need to be able to account for that to the public, you know, to Absolutely. our taxpayers. So even if dollars don't change hands, we, sh we should be able to show that, you know, kind of the collective input into this was three FTEs of effort over a year. That's equivalent to X number of dollars of investment. Um, but when we look at it from each institution, go, well, Edmonton only put in one-third of that. Yeah. And we were able to activate three times the resource uh, on that. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. For me, it's a really open source is the mechanism. And it's, yeah. it's like I said, that it's the lingua franca to, to allow us to, to collaborate. But it's the business model is what's, what's most fascinating to me. Well, and I think without open source, you can't explore those business model questions. You know, commercial software doesn't even really give you a way to start to do work together. Mm -hmm. You know, and how do we justify back to taxpayers that the juice was worth the squeeze on this initiative where we collaborated with Montreal? Like, what is, how does Edmonton benefit? Because those, those accountability still exist. Mm -hmm. um, and without open source as a platform to enable this, you can't get the work done. You know, so yeah. That's, there's that, I love that connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I think is really interesting about Edmonton, where Edmonton's been, I think, globally a leader for a number of years, is around open data. Um, and open data and open source are, of course, two different things that share a word, <laughs> but they are in many ways joined. You know, the idea of, yep. hey, if we're going to build things and they're going to be things for government, data is going to be critical to it. Absolutely. What are some of the wins you've seen connected to open data and the use of open data in Edmonton's early work pioneering and making investments? Well, I think, and it's not unique to Edmonton, although though, uh, it was made famous because the mobile app that we created for 
transit was uh, incredibly inferior compared to what the market could bring yeah. um, and what people outside the city could bring. So that created a real recognition inside the city, really, and, and almost the mandate would say, yeah, don't build any more mobile apps because <laughs> we're not good at it. We don't have the skills or capacity to do it, and the talent exists elsewhere. Now, that's a, a really trivial example. There's the big, very popular transit apps today, or even if you just use one of the major mapping applications on your on your mobile device, almost everyone's publishing general transit feed specifications, GTFS, real-time transit vehicle stuff, and that's how everyone gets around and makes those worthwhile. Um, I think there's um, open data has that component, right, and we have APIs that are available, and there are companies who've created kind of competitive differentiators for their service. They've made kind of their own conscious decision to do that. And we like that kind of, that's a, that's a way that this openness can work. I don't know what that looks like in the open source world, but I think very similar things will happen. Some of it will be just great collaboration, municipality to municipality, civic tech, post-secondary institutions. And in other cases, somebody may take that and make product. Yeah. Bianca was talking about, you know, the example she used was, hey, I need to build a new digital service and I need to write some code to do it and I have a $100,000 budget to go do this piece of work. But if I partner, say, with Edmonton and we each put in $50,000, then maybe we could create two apps for the price of creating one app. You know, like mm -hmm. both organizations contribute and we both get both apps. Yep. You know, so just that idea of, you know, sort of creating the ecosystem. At a, like for a city government to start to do that kind of sharing, what are some of the like the cultural barriers you think you're gonna have to confront to make that kind of a, a co-creation um, a process work well? Well, as I mentioned before, you know, kind of this idea of a business model. I, yeah. I think there has to be a sound understanding of financially what that means, and and all the different pieces of the framework, whether that's how does that legally work, and and, yeah. and again, open source creates a, a a scenario where some of that gets solved. Right? By yeah. saying it's open source, any and all, right? everyone has their own liabilities and warranties that they have to provide into They're not responsible for somebody else's. Yeah. So there's some um, freeing aspects in, in the open source approach to things. And certainly for Edmonton, because we've walked the journey with open data and we bumped into all these different elements of it, the policy, the framework, the legal implications, the privacy implications, the IP implications. We've kind of got ourselves to a point where we have a really, really good, strong understanding of that, and I think a relatively mature understanding of that. So if we step into open source or open APIs, whatever, whatever open algorithms, I think we've, we've, we've matured as an organization, so yeah. lots of those internal barriers are lower than they would have been. Yeah. Well, I know Edmonton's had a history of sort of sharing other types of technology projects back and forth between Calgary and Edmonton. It's mm -hmm. really interesting technology sharing around parking and lighting, you know, so there's some precedent to it. Um, open source itself often creates a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt within an organization. There's a lot of messages that, that get to IT leadership and to business leadership and say, can we trust open source? Who's producing open source software? You know, Where is, do you think Edmonton is in the journey of do people who are in leadership trust that open source is a good thing to invest in? I think there's still lots that we need to do. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to overblow that I understand all the <laughs> different implications of it, but uh, it requires a certain type of skill set internally to do, and no different than if we were managing a vendor who's doing custom development for us. Yeah. There's a certain amount of responsibilities that the city has to have in terms yeah. of making sure that that's secure safe, um, it's patched regularly, all the things that we would expect a vendor to provide to us, those need to be provided for. Not necessarily by a vendor, but it could be by internal resources, it could be by 
one of our partner resources. But there needs to be a role to be played where management of the of the code base and management of the product is taken care of. Yeah. In some cases and on some projects, that might be the city of Edmonton that takes on that role. In another project, it could be city of Montreal that takes on that role. Yeah. And another one, it could be a completely external um, organization that takes that on. And, and we'd evaluate that based on the type of risk exposure and the type of data that's being stored in it, where we would either want more ownership and, and play that play that coordination role or less ownership of. But uh, yeah, there are absolutely things that we'll call it the myths of open source and you know people who if they looked at and explored open source 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't being done in the way that it is today. There's a real software engineering skill that's required to do this type of, uh, of development. Yep. Um, but if you have that skill and that expertise, you can activate so much because of community. It's, you know, and for Phil, just to go through, I am a vendor that provides custom software development service to the city of Edmonton from time to time. But, you know, just in that context, you know, I'm just absolutely aware that, you know, good software is managed by people. And whether you're buying from a commercial organization or from a community or whether you're building yourself and you're providing that management, at the end of the day, it's just who are the people who are providing this? And that's just that's part right. of the cost of ownership of, of, of software. Yeah, exactly. And today we have very much a preference for an architecture principles which says um, uh, buy before build. So we're buying lots of commercial software and some of that's from large vendors and some of that's from small vendors. But the exact same expectations exist, right? Security, if a security exploit happens, software needs to be patched or infrastructure needs to be patched. And we don't blink when we say, well, that has to happen if SAP does it or Microsoft does it, and it's no different. And we just need to make sure that that's provided for in whatever model we have. And again, because open source communities um, and you know, a project is always not just one project, but it's a project that's an assembly of many other projects. Absolutely. So if there are you know, major security holes or risks that are identified, it's very often that overnight and by continuous integration, uh, uh, a patch is made for something that your system relies on or that your application relies on. Absolutely. A similar conversation I had um, a couple of years ago was with Sean Slack. He's the CIO at City of Mississauga. Mm-hmm. And we were having this conversation about, you know, open source versus off the shelf versus build versus buy. And, you know, in the middle of this conversation, you just sort of sat back and said, you know, one of the problems is there isn't good software for government to buy a lot of the time. You know, it's built for commercial organizations, not made for us, or we've got context or history or architecture or bylaws or, you know, sort of legislative constraints that mean we can't use what other people could use in the way that they use it. And I think that's really real for cities, you know, and to sort of say, hey, you know, as we start to look at this digital thing, this, you know, online services, you know, sort of becoming more of a software-oriented organization, we need to start to bring some of the hallmarks of a software organization into the city. We now build software and we manage software, either with our people or through contracts, through relationships. You know, so this this change of government to becoming more like a software company, I, I think, is somewhat inevitable to some degree. Where, you know, where do you see that from a from an Edmonton perspective? I don't know if I'd characterize it as that, but where we want to provide the most optimal citizen experience, or customer experience, um, or employee experience, as it might be. I think it's in kind of that layer of the technology where taking a truly citizen-centered approach means you have to be open to 
a little bit of customization. Yeah. Now, I say this at the exact same time that the city itself is moving forward with a, a major enterprise systems transformation program. We over-customized many of our systems and they've become unwieldy because of that customization. Yeah. So I don't want to say that customization is the focus of it, but what I think is there are areas of our technology landscape where the benefits of taking a customized approach, which is a great citizen experience, yeah. could be beneficial. Absolutely, yeah. You know, customization can go in two different ways, but you know, like ultimately, you create business value for the organization by creating code to some degree. When you identify, hey, there's a business process, we want to automate, we're going to create some code. That's where you actually store the business value. I think historically, one of the places where organizations have struggled with that is if you don't manage code as code, if you don't build the, the mature software management processes around it, then suddenly that business value gets lost in legacy code and in systems that no one has context in, or mm -hmm. that developer who did the work has left and we didn't document or we don't have access to that. So yeah. there is that huge danger as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, can, we can pour money into things and lose the entire value of it if you don't understand how to upgrade and patch and support and extend that code at the same time. That's a real challenge. Yes, it is. And those are absolutely the risks that we need to be conscious of as, yeah. as we move into this space, right? That it isn't free, yeah. right? Open source is not free. Yeah. We're really clear about that. Um, and that internal capacity that we need to develop, um, that needs to be a strategic leadership discussion. Yeah. At the stage that we're doing it right now, this is really about proving out the, techni the technical and business feasibility of it. And the reason why we're involved in um, the Municipal Innovation Pilot Project with the federal government and other municipalities is really very much to test the feasibility of this. Do we understand kind of the, the scope and scale of the things that we would need in order to make it successful? And is that... Um, in balance with what what I believe are, you know, I'm very passionate about what I think the benefits are, um, but that full business case is not fully approved yet. We're still in the experimentation phase. Yeah, as an organization stepping into a dark room and trying to find the light switch. That's know, right. Just, where is this? How, yeah. Where are we going? You know, what does but it look like for us? When we look at, you know, again, Edmonton's so proud of its reputation with open data, and it was done on very much the same ambition where you don't exactly know what's on the other side. Yeah. And sometimes you say, you just need to begin and we're smart people and we'll figure out all of the other elements of that. Absolutely. We won't do it foolishly or in a risky way, but yeah. I think there, there needs to be a, a willingness to try yeah. and learn a little bit, fail yeah. a little bit in order to make our way through this process. I'm really, really uh, encouraged though because of the level of maturity that um, federal government has in terms of working in the open and other government jurisdictions that are taking a very, very similar approach. Many jurisdictions in the United States that have done this and other cities and uh, organizations that are taking the same role. Definitely. Well, and there's no doubt that we're talking about culture change, especially within the IT or the technology parts of the organization mm -hmm. uh, and the people responsible. That should have senior leaders nervous, you know, that, that this is risky business. You know, this is the kind of thing that can go well or go poorly. But it's, it's also great to have some of these large organizations that have really paved the path a little bit and started mm -hmm. to sort of show, you know, things didn't fall apart. You know, yeah. we, we made it through, we changed, we shifted, we adapted, and we got to the other side of this thing with some, you know, we got their hold and, we, and you know, some good things happened. Are there any things for you that you sort of look at within the city where you're really excited about what's possible that may not be possible in the current context by creating this kind of more sharing economy between other partners, other stakeholders, other levels of government, you know, academia? What are some of the things you're excited about? Well, I think for me, the real excitement is the fact that we are limited in our resources. So yeah. The amount of money and people that we can throw yeah. at um, uh, the numerous different opportunities and challenges that face our organization. And this is a way to unlock 
more resources. So in really simple terms, if I'm to explain this to somebody from a financial perspective, we don't have the resources otherwise. So yeah. this is a way to do it. It's a smart way to do it that shares that with other people who are willing to participate in it. So for me, that's the, the, the I'll call it the really, really simple business math in, in, yeah. in this is I can take a dollar and multiply that maybe by three, four or five. And that sounds like a good deal. Yeah. So that's how I'd explain it at a business level. I'm really, really passionate about it because I think we unlock bright, intelligent people in our technology community, aspiring technologists that are in their post-secondary programs who um, could look at it and go, wow, the city's doing some really fantastic things. And, you know, there are people who really buy into the mission of what a city does. And I think we can make ourselves a very, very attractive employer maybe not of a lot of people in the technology industry, but have us but be a place enough. where people go, yeah. yeah, I'd like to go work for the city because they're yeah. doing open source development. I think there's a, a talent acquisition and Absolutely. talent strategy that's part of this. Yeah, I, I love your metaphor of kind of like how we can create more value by, by parties. You know, I just think of it like a great Canadian tradition of barn building. You know, like mm -hmm. why should 10 different farmers build 10 different barns all by themselves when everyone can get together and in, in a much shorter time and with much better process, you know, kind of build build all 10 barns is a community, you know? Yeah. And I love that sense of why, you know, not every city needs the same barn, has the same animals, has the same needs, has the same land footprint, but there's enough in common. That if we work yep. together, we can maybe do it faster, better, and, and, and maybe just a little less lonely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The less lonely part is important. Right? Yeah. And, well, and it's a reality, I, I right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have some very, very small and unique services that, that, that the city offers where um, they're small teams, right? yeah. and even providing a technology solution for them is difficult for corporate IT to, to find solutions for them. Because yeah. not everyone, not every municipality has a cemetery management need and requirement, but yeah. we do. And if we found three or four others that had a similar problem, maybe in a straight cost basis, we could do that in a, a way more effective way for each of us. It's exciting. Okay. If there's one thing we know for sure, we're all going to need a cemetery at some point. <laughs> it's, it's a growth industry, probably, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Open source is more than just software. It's about a different way of working together. It was great to hear from Norman on the cultural and participatory values that are intrinsic to the open source movement. If you want to learn more about Edmonton's long history of being a leader in all things open, check out data.edmonton.ca or find the link in the show notes. This episode was part two of a two-part series on open source and government. You can hear the first episode in our archives where I talked to Bianca Tomazelli from the City of Montreal on change management and business models related to open source. We're going to keep having conversations like this. Thanks for tuning in. If you've got ideas for guests we should speak to, send us an email to podcast at yellowpencil.com. Government is about all of us. Let's keep making a better world. This has been the 311 Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Bellows. See you next time. To all the first time callers and the long time listeners, this is the 311.